And why don't you stand with me today as we read the word together. All right, John chapter six, verse one, the Bible says this, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said, to Philip. Now, let me just say um, that every gospel account contains the sign of the feeding of the 5,000. As you read all of them and kind of synthesize them, there are a lot of, a lot of other points that John does not include. Uh, before he says anything to Philip, the Bible says in Matthew that he looked out on the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. So Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 and number, um, just generally agreed upon by scholars uh, and historians alike. We're talking about 5,000 men, plus women and children would be maybe 15, some say up to 20,000 people. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten to their fill, very strong word for fill there, means to be filled to overflowing. This is like Thanksgiving Day fill, if you know what I'm talking about. Their eyes were glazed over and they fell asleep watching a football game. No, that didn't happen. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments fragments from the five barley loaves, pretty crazy, left by those who had eaten. When the people, do you guys get what he just did there? Y'all get that? He multiplied. When the people saw the sign that, they had done, that he had done, they said, this is indeed, definite article, the prophet who has come into the world. We're not going to handle this today, uh, but this would be a fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 18, where God said there would be another prophet that would come like Moses, Remember, Moses led the people in the desert and um, fed them with bread that came from heaven. So um, this is the fulfillment of that for Jesus. Perceiving then, verse 15, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Jesus was not in the boat. He had directed his disciples to get into the boat to go to the other side. He was on the top of a mountain praying to God. It was now dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near their boat. And they were really tough guys. And they thought, well, isn't that cool? No, the Bible says they were, when it says they were frightened in the original language, it says they were like little schoolgirls. No, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't mean that. And they were frightened. 
But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew's gospel account um, contains a, a part of this story that I know you're familiar with. It's important for today's message, and so I thought we should read it as well. Uh, so Jesus is walking on the water. There's still the storm. The, the wind is raging. Uh, the, the waves are filling the boat with water. Uh, they see him. Verse 27 says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Then we have this added part. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. By the way, great prayer to pray. Short, concise, and he always answers. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And Lord, thank you today for... Uh, these two signs, God, they're, they're marvelous. They convey so much about you, uh, but they also communicate to us that you have called us to participate in your kingdom work. God, you, you are leading us to engage ourselves in your infinite plans and God, to experience and encounter your supernatural power and so, Father, I pray today that maybe we're, we just find ourselves in a place where all of that's happening and we're hitting on all cylinders, and thank you, God, for that. And then on the other hand, maybe for some of us, we're just kind of in the stands watching, watching the game play out, uh, but we're not really necessarily engaged or on the field ourselves. And just stir our hearts, God, stir our hearts that we would get everything out of this beautiful, eternal relationship with you that you desire for us in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat today. We were at uh, the beach maybe a month ago or so, maybe a couple of months ago. It's kind of a blur. The last couple of months have gone really fast and there's been a lot. Um, but I was standing on, I was standing on, you can go to this uh, picture of the ocean, I was standing on the beach, and you know, like I do, for the most part, when we're at the beach, we get in the water, but um, this time I just took my hands and I, I cupped some ocean water, and you know, as I cupped the ocean water, I had this, you know, revelation, and this is a normal revelation, I totally get it, but for some reason it was just a little more profound to me on this time around. As I had that water in my hand, I was looking out on to the, the ocean and its vastness, and it just struck me. It just struck me how big the ocean is and, and how little, kind of like that boat, right? Just a little tiny thing in comparison to such a massive body of water. And I'm holding that little cup of water, and I'm thinking, man, God, this is compared to the ocean that covers 71% of planet Earth, the surface of the Earth, 71%, 321 million cubic miles of water. That's how much water, ocean water there is, 321 million cubic miles. I'm like, what is this? What is this, right? It's so insignificant. And then 
And then, you know, like it happens with you too. All of a sudden there was just a spiritual connection. And I was thinking, if the ocean feels this big, how much bigger are you? How much more infinite? How much more massive? How limitless are you, God? And then, you know, in light of that, there's me. And, and instead of feeling insignificant or meaningless, for me, because of the cross of Christ, we're made in the image of God and God loved us so much that he delivered his own son to die in our place so we could have relationship with him. For me, it wasn't like I just was, you know, lost in the infiniteness of God. It was like, no, there's value, there's meaning, each one of us. Although God is altogether almighty and infinite, we have value in the eyes of God because we're made in the image and because Jesus Christ died for our sins. I was just, it was a good thought for me. Maybe it's not for you today, but I don't care. No, I do care. I do care. Maybe it's not the ocean for you. Maybe, maybe it's the stars. I, I love the new James Webb telescope and um, some of the pictures we're getting um, of deep space are just absolutely extraordinary. Like this is called the Southern Nebula. A nebula is a mass of clouds, particles that ultimately end up through gravity and things like that. They end up generating stars. So that right there, that's a star engine. That nebula manufactures stars. And you know, you see some of these pictures and, and you think, oh God, you're so, you're so, you're so infinite and extraordinary. Solomon had this thought when he had just constructed the temple and, you know, he had, he had built as a fulfillment of the promise that God had given to David, that David's son would build a temple in which his presence would dwell, a more permanent place for the presence of God, not the temporary tabernacle that the presence of God had been moving in. And as Solomon had built that temple, there was the same epiphany. It was the same, probably more sophisticated than mine, but same epiphany that, that I have when I look at the, the ocean or that, that we have when we look at the stars. He said this, as he's constructed the temple, he's just realizing even though it's glorious and all these sacrifices have been made, what is it? What is it? He says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. Isn't that good? Look, we were just singing how great thou art. How great is your God today? Do you have a... It's not, it's not part of the message, but do you right-size God? You got a small God or do you got a big God? Do you got a God with a little G and a little O and a little D that you've just made in your own image? Or is your God so almighty that when you look at his created works, you think, God, how great you are. You are infinite. You are infinite. I know for you, as we were singing that song, it's like, man, I get emotional and choked up and brought to tears because he is so extraordinary. Sol Solomon says, behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. The Oxford Dictionary defines infinite like this, boundless, having no limit or end, immeasurably great in extent, immense, vast, and then it goes on to say, chiefly of God or his attributes. Man, didn't, didn't the dictionary get it right that time around? I mean, that is God. When we think of infinite, we're talking about boundless, having no limit or end, immeasurably great in extent, immense, vast. Vast. 
And like the epitome of that, the ultimate picture of that is the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, today, I want to say to you, and we're going to take a little journey today, but we serve a limitless God with limitless love and limitless power who invites us to participate in his infinitely amazing plan. Can you say amen to that today? It's on the board. You should have read that. All right. We serve a limitless God. We're talking about the, the infiniteness of God. We serve a limitless God with limitless love and limitless power. And, and listen, it's important for us to connect the dots here because if we're not careful, some of us, we're like, well, yeah, that is God and he is that infinite and he's so disconnected from us and he's so big, we could, we could never I could never participate in his infinite plan. And no, it's the opposite. He invites us. He invites us to participate in his infinitely amazing plan. Now, we have two signs today that we're going to talk about. Um, and there's, there, there's, a lot of like, there's a lot of theological depth to these signs. And we could spend a lot of time talking about various things when we're thinking of the feeding of the 5,000 or the walking uh, on the water of Jesus and Peter. The interesting thing is this, the early church always linked these signs together. The early Christians believed that these two signs were kind of like a, a one-two punch. They were connected together. And what we're gonna focus on today as we consider these signs is this. God invites us to participate in his infinite plan by encountering his infinite power. That's what we see in these signs. Because, make no mistake about it, they are signs that declare that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 18. He is the prophet. And, you know, God said through Moses about this prophet that would come, that people's eternal destiny would be based upon how they respond to him. So, yeah, we know that that's true. We also see that he is the creator, that he can take almost infinitely small resources and multiply him, uh, multiply them, excuse me, for his divine purposes. We, we see that he has control over creation itself so that what we would never be able to do in and of ourselves, he is able to do. And we also see that he is the king of Israel. But as we look at these signs, we see something else. We see that these are invitation stories. They're invitation stories. You know, sometimes when we, when we are reading about signs and miracles and wonders, they're things that Jesus does by himself on behalf or for other people. What's interesting about these signs is he incorporates his disciples. He invites them to come and to participate. He engages his followers. I just would say to you today, as a reminder, Christianity is not a spectator sport, right? Christianity is not a spectator sport. And, and we know that because he chose 12, he commissioned 70, he baptized in the power of his Holy Spirit, 120 who were in the upper room, and the Bible never formally closes out the book of Acts, it is the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, but there's no formal end to the book of Acts. There's no Acts end of Acts chapter 28 because you are Acts chapter 29. You are the fulfillment of that. Are you engaged? Are you engaged in what God is doing? 
Um, do you want to experience the power of God? This is like an open question for you to respond to right now because it's always better when we work together as a church, right? Do you want to experience the power of God in your life? Do you really want to? Do you? Really? Some of you are like, hmm, I don't know. He's, he, he's going to, he, this is one of those questions, man. It's going to come back around on me. You know, some of, some of us are. So let's, like, let's just consider the statistics, right? Some of us are. Some of us are locked in. Some of us are taking steps of faith. Some of us are aware of what it is that God is doing kingdom work. It's not just that we're praying your kingdom come, your will be done. We are living. We are living it as the answer to that. And then on the other hand, a good portion of Christians, especially in this country that we live in, uh, there's a good portion of Christians that are in the stands. They're watching others play the game. They're sitting on the fringe. They've not, not really stepped in. Listen, you, you know, they come to church on a Sunday and they're, they're engaged for 90 minutes, right? They're heaven focused for 90 minutes. The Bible's open for 90 minutes. Songs are being sung, you know, not for 90 minutes, but, but for four songs worth of time. And then, then, you know, the Christian leaves, goes through those doors, and it's almost like there's this disconnect as they walk out. They leave God behind and the kingdom behind, you know, and it's like, hey, see you Sunday. You know what I'm talking about? See you next Sunday. And then, and then it's, you know, normal, ordinary, everyday life, disconnected from what it is that God is doing in a kingdom sense until Sunday morning rolls around again. And it's like, oh, do we have to, dad? or mom, and then you know, and you come, and, it, and the, the switch goes on, and th I'm, just, I'm just like laying the cards on the table for you today, because we live in Las Vegas, and I can say that, and you won't get offended and leave the church, because it's just the city we live in. Um, my prayer, my hope today, is that for those of you who are kind of in the stands, and, and maybe like that's kind of your experience, the Christian experience, and it's good that you're here, it's good that you're present, but God wants more. The prayer today is that you take a step, right? That you take a step into or towards what it is that God is doing from an infinite, eternal perspective. And today we're just gonna really quickly talk about three things you have to do to experience God's power. Three things that I think that you can practically apply this week to your life so that you really can be engaged in stuff that lasts forever, but you can also experience the power of God in your life. If you're taking notes today, number one is this, and all of this is drawn from these two signs. Number one, if you really do want to experience the power of God in your life, you have to choose to care instead of choosing to be indifferent. You have to choose to care. You have to choose to be compassionate. You have to be considerate about what other people are going through in your life instead of just being indifferent, instead, instead of having a heart that is untouched. Now, this gospel account doesn't tell us what the initial response of the disciples actually was when Jesus said to them, hey, there's a bunch of hungry people, boys. What are we gonna do about it? The, the initial response was, send them away. I mean, it wasn't even... It wasn't even like, well, we don't have enough money. It was like, dude, we're tired. We're tired. We've been working. We've been serving, you know? I mean, it's just, it's just not easy, Lord. 
it's not easy, it's been really hard, and so why don't you just like, totally indifferent, totally lacking compassion, just send them away and let them figure it out themselves, you know, because, because ministering to people isn't easy. People are dramatic. I knew I'd get a rise out of you on that one. You're like, I'm, I'm like, God is great. God is awesome. Silence. People are dramatic. Oh, yeah, pastor. People are, you have no idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Listen, if they would have had their way, think about this. If they would have had their way in being indifferent about the need of the people around them, and Jesus was not indifferent. He was compassionate he, they had journeyed with him. They had watched his miracles. They had heard his teachings. And he looked at them with great concern, you know, as sheep without a shepherd. And so because he was moved with compassion, he did something about it. But could you imagine if he would have disregarded them and listened to the counsel of the disciples? What an amazing sign, what an amazing miracle would have been lost. You know, the truth is this, in God's limitlessness, he cares for people, in God's infiniteness, in God's greatness, he still cares about people, and not just people with a capital P, but you, the individual, matters to God. I saw another picture of, uh, from James Webb Telescope, and I thought, man, isn't that amazing? Like you think about this spiral galaxy and the complexity of it, and you look at all the stars that are represented just in that picture, and you realize that, you know, most cosmologists say that there are 10 to the 28th power uh, number of stars in the universe. In other words, there's so many, they just can't be counted. They can't be counted. They're beyond even being able to number them. David was considering this, and he said, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, by the way, the phrase, the work of your fingers there, um, it means something like, finger painting. You know, when your kids are super young and you get the, you get the little tray of paint out and they dip their fingers in the, in the paint and they just, you know, they just, they do whatever they do. Well, David's like, that's all the universe is to you. You know, I mean, 50 billion years in it, light years in extent, and yet in all of its complexity with all of the black holes and the nebula and the innumerable stars and the vastness of it, 5% of it material stuff, 95% of it dark energy. We don't even know what that is. And Dave was like, it's just finger painting to you. God is nothing to you. You spoke the universe into existence. You just said the word. Hey, how great is your God today? The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place. He says this, what is man that you're mindful of him? Right, what is man that you're mindful of him? This is just the way it typically is when something is so great, everything else around it seems so insignificant. And David, you know, maybe he's out in the pastures and maybe he's keeping his sheep, he's just looking at the stars and he's like, God, all of this and it just makes me think, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you would even care for him? But then he goes on to say, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. The truth is this, you matter to God. You matter to God. You're made in the image of God and God demonstrated his love for you, his deep love for you in the giving of Jesus Christ on the cross. You couldn't matter more to him. 
You know, in these two signs, we recognize that Jesus does care. He fed 5,000 plus. He recognized the disciples as they were on the Sea of Galilee. They were straining against the wind, the Bible says. And from the mountaintop, when he was in prayer with the Father, the scripture tells us he saw them. He saw them. God sees you today. God saw Nineveh thousands of years ago, and he had to teach his wayward prophet a lesson, a heart lesson. Because while God cared about the people of Nineveh, a wicked and evil people that did not deserve the mercy of God, while God cared about them, Jonah did not. And you know the story. There was all this turbulence and tumult and disobedience, and there was a storm. And God ended up getting the prophet where he needed to be. And as the story wraps up, God says to him, in his indifference, God says, should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Listen, the incarnation and the cross of Christ scream this to us. God screams, I couldn't care more. I couldn't care more. God, help us to not live lives that look like we couldn't care less. We need to be compassionate. We need to be merciful. I will say that, you know, as a church, every time we step out and we minister to people in their time of need, God always supernaturally provides. I mean, we are stirred by God to, you know, build a, or fit up a community center in 89169, an area that is underprivileged, that is filled with crime and drugs and prostitution, a place of great need. And what do we see God do? God provides for absolutely everything supernaturally because God cares compassionately for people who are in need. I think about Awaken Aid, you know, this Friday, of course, where I leave tomorrow with the team uh, to go to Tijuana, and on Friday, we have our Awaken Aid event, which is right out in front of the stadium. And, you know, we have 40 nurses and a bunch of doctors and dentists, and we have lawyers, and we have 200 churches that have collaborated together for this event, and we have all of these clothes that have been miraculously provided for. We have uh, worked hard and prayed hard so that we would have 5,000 blessing bags, and God God not only supernaturally provided for 5,000, he provided for 7,000, which, which is a miracle. It's a miracle. And you know, honestly, our first number was 7,000, and then we thought, well, that's kind of a high number, so we reduced it to five, and God's like, no, my number was seven, right? My number was seven. Every time, every time you are moved with compassion, every time you stop just looking at your own life and your own routine and how it's all oriented around you and you just lift your eyes up and say, God, what are you doing today? What are you doing today? God, who are you going to bring into my life today? Who has a need that you can meet through my life as I live as a conduit of your power. I wanna encourage you today, if you wanna experience the power of God, it begins with having a compassionate heart. The second thing is this, you and I need to choose an abundance mindset over a scarcity mindset. We need to choose to have an abundance mindset over a scarcity mindset. You say, well, what is a scarcity mindset? It can be described or defined like this, only seeing your limited resources only 
seeing your limited resources and obsessing on them. Living your life in such a way where it's like, well, this is all, this is all that I have. And I need to hold tightly to, to what I have. Because it's so little, I don't want to lose any of it. You know, that finite mindset will restrict you from experiencing the power of God. And I, I think like this was, the, this was the paradigm shift. You got to catch this. This was the paradigm shift that he was leading his disciples into. Listen, he's, he knows what he's going to do. He knows he's going to multiply the little loaves and the fish that are brought to him. But he's teaching his disciples a lesson because their mindset was this. He's like, hey, Philip, what are we going to do? Philip's like, well, even if we had 200 denarii worth of bread, it wouldn't be enough. It, we, we just don't have the resources, in other words. We just don't even have the resources. Even if we had everything that all the stores in the Galilee had to offer, it still would be insufficient for this need. And then Andrew, Simon P Peter's brother, you know, he takes it a little step further and he recognizes that there is something, but he doesn't make the connection of that something to Jesus, He's like, well, that little guy with the loaves and the pickled fish in the Star Wars lunch pail, you know, he's got something, but, but what is that among so many? What is that among so many? The scarcity mindset says, well, we don't have enough money and we don't have enough food. And you know, Peter, if he had the scarcity mindset, when he was in the boat, he would have said, well, that's not even possible. It's just not a possibility. Some of us live our lives like this. God's like, hey, I'd like to move. Hey, I'd like to move. Hey, I'd like to show you my power. And you're so centered on the resources that you don't have, it doesn't even give God an opportunity to show you what he does have. And that is... <laughs> you guys are classic. That is, that is the abundance mindset. The abundance mindset isn't focused on the limited resources that you have. The abundance mindset says this, I have Jesus. I've got the Lord. Man, I've got the Lord. In Matthew's gospel account, the Bible says, as Andrew's like, hey, Lord, you know, there's that little dude and he's got, he's got his little lunch. Jesus says, bring it to me. That's what he says. He says, bring it to me. And you know, once those resources were placed into the almighty hands of Christ, the same hands that created the nebula, the same hands that created the black holes, the same hand that not only set the stars in the heaven, but gave every single star a name, the same hand that molded and shaped planet Earth and covered 71% of it with 321 million cubic miles of water, the same hand took those little resources and supernaturally multiplied them for his glory. Do you believe he's able to do that today? Do you believe that he's able to do that today? Listen, I'm saying to you that you need to take, you need to stop focusing on what you don't have, stop limiting God, and start focusing on the fact that you have Jesus Christ and take what you have and place those things in his hands, your resources, and then listen also yourself. Because that's what Peter did. You know, Peter's like, well, I, in and of myself, I can't walk on water. I don't have that capacity, but he's right there, and with him, all things are possible. And so you know what? I'm gonna step out of the boat because he's bid me to come. This is his command. He was inviting Peter in every time 
Christ invites you into something he is doing, he will always supernaturally provide for you. Right, no food, no problem. Massive storm, not an issue. Think you might sink, don't worry, I've got you. Jesus can create more food and he'll give you victory over the storm even in the midst of the storm. Because remember with me, he did not take the storm away and then call Peter out of the boat to come. It was was in the midst of the storm that Peter stepped out of the boat. The wind was still blowing. The waves were still raging. I've been out on the Sea of Galilee and storms can kick up like this and pretty soon you have six to 12 foot swells out on the Sea of Galilee. Now, I don't know if Jesus was like walking up one and down the other, you know, it's like, and maybe, maybe that's why they were afraid because there's this head just like, is it him, is it not him? Is it him, is it not him? But he invites Peter out and Peter's not like, hey, Lord, you know what? It'd be really cool if you could just make this as easy as possible. Look, I'm, I'm saying this to you guys out loud and I'm kind of convicted myself because there are times where I'm like, Lord, just, make, just give, us, give us an easy one, okay? But you know, Peter could have said like, yeah, I'll come out, but these are the conditions. These are the conditions. You need to cool this storm down. You know, if I'm gonna barefoot out on the Sea of Galilee, I want, some, I want, some, I want a placid lake. And he doesn't do it. He calls him out in the middle of the turbulence, in the middle of the tumult. He will meet you in the midst of the storm. Don't let your finite perspective limit the infinite possibilities that exist with God. This was why he instructed the kings in the Old Testament, don't number your horses, don't number your chariots, don't number your soldiers, because what I can do is it limited by your resources and the extent of what I can do is not limited by your supposed greatness. The battle belongs to me. Amen? Yeah. The New Testament says it like this, we walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, Again, David in the Psalms, Psalm 147, says he determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Look, some of you today, this is what happens in the church. You, because of the internet, we have access to all of these great Christian leaders. And we look at what God does in their life, and sometimes we think, man, God, that's so amazing. You could could never do that in my life. And I just wanna tell you today that that is not true. It's not true. Just as God is using so many people around you in supernatural and mighty ways, God wants to do not the same thing, but something unique in and through your life. If you would just take the step of faith, if you would live in that place of compassion where, where, and maybe you don't have it today, and it's okay to be honest with God, you know what, God, I've not been compassionate. I honestly don't really care about the people in my workplace and the people I see every day, the people at Dutch Bros. It doesn't even cross my mind, and so God, I'm confessing to you. Change my heart. Change my heart. Take the indifference because I know it's not pleasing to you. But you know, God, I get wrapped up in so much stuff that just has no eternal value and I've lost sight. So God, soften the stony heart and help me to care. 
Help me to see people the way that you see people. And maybe it's just one person. My wife was just talking about, hey, we've made it easy. Take a card and, and put it in someone's hand. And maybe it's as simple as that, but, 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 but the prayer is, God, help me to care. And then in addition to that, God, help me not to limit you by just looking at what I have instead of focusing on Jesus. Help me to take what you have given to me, to by faith place it into his hands, and to expect you to do something great. The third thing today is tied to that, and it's just really quickly, if you're taking notes, choose faith to override your fear. Choose faith to override your fear. And you know that's what, that's uh, uh, absolutely what Peter had to do. When Peter's getting out of the boat, I'm sure, just like with us, there were all of these natural fears that rose up within him. How did he combat that? How did he deal with that? And listen, I've chosen the word override on purpose because it's not as if when you're walking by faith, fear just goes away. Do you guys understand that? Look, I think sometimes as, as teachers, we do a disservice because we present fear and faith as, as opposites, which it's true, right? You will choose one or the other. You can't have both simultaneously. But the fact is this, when you are walking by faith, sometimes those feelings of fear are still there. Sometimes the nervousness and the apprehension and the concern and the worry and the truth is it doesn't just come from our flesh. The adversary, right, who has the capacity, he has the capacity to suggest thoughts to you. They're like fiery darts. He will try to leverage fear against you. So that you're in this place where it's like, well, you're right. This doesn't make sense. Why am I doing this? This puts me at risk. I might fail. I think one of the biggest reasons we're not taking great steps of faith for God is because we're so concerned about failing and what failure might mean and how it might impact our reputation instead of just dying to ourselves and not caring about our reputation and stepping out in faith and doing great things for the Lord. You know, when you are walking by faith, there will still be the temptation to fear, but faith is a greater weapon than fear. Confront your fear with faith. Don't let your fear dictate your experience of God. As I said, we walk by faith, not by sight. The truth is this, and, and Peter picked up on it while the other disciples were in the boat thinking, man, it's good he's here. I can't wait till he gets in the boat because the boat is really the safe place. Peter's like, no, no, the boat's not the safe place. Where Jesus is is the safe place. Right? Where he's at is the safe place. Where his presence is dwelling is the safe place. Even if it means out on the water, even if it means in the midst of the storm, like that's all that Peter wanted to do was to step out and to be with the Lord. And you know, the story goes, that when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. When his eyes were set on him, when he was walking towards his presence, Peter was experiencing experiencing, excuse me, a supernatural miracle that only he and Jesus had the privilege of experiencing. You know, this uh, Sunday, excuse me, this coming Saturday uh, and Friday, of course, we're taking a big step of faith. Um, and, and honestly, like, if you're to look at it from a human perspective, uh, we're not a big church. 
And for our church to be taking a step of faith like this from a human perspective, just there are some people who say, man, you have no business doing this. And if we're gonna just look at finite resources, maybe that's true, but, but we don't look at finite resources. We place our resources in the hands of Jesus and he leads us to do things that from a worldly perspective just don't make a lot of sense. It's just true. And so, you know, this Friday, and I wanna encourage you to be praying, this Friday we are gonna have an Awaken Aid event uh, and like I said, we have nurses and doctors and dentists and clothes and food and people preaching the message of the gospel. Uh, we are gonna have the opportunity to really demonstrate the compassion of Christ to a city that's in great need. You know, by the way, God loves the people of Tijuana. You guys know that? I, I hear sometimes, I'll just tell you, you know, like, maybe you're like, well, yeah, I mean, I used to party in Tijuana. And, and I would say to you, well, you can redeem that and create a new memory that has eternal value and you can pray and you can give and you can go and be a part of it. And, um, but there are some people I talk to and it's almost like Tijuana is a byword to them. And I, I think, man, you're just like Jonah. You've, you have no compassion. You don't see the way that God sees. And we're not only gonna have an opportunity to express the compassion of the Lord to these people, I'm asking you guys, please pray for miracles. Pray that God would anoint the hands of his sons and daughters who will be providing the food and providing the medical care and that we would see God raise up the sick, that we would see the lame walk, that we, we would see the blind see. We would see the blind see. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with that. We would see the blind see because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And gifts of healings are just as much for today as they were 2,000 years ago. And, and this, the second thing is this, you know, the stadium seats about 26 to 30,000 people. Um, and it's gonna take a work of God to bring all of those people to that stadium. I, I believe he can do it. And as he brings the people, listen, pray that he supernaturally brings the people, pray that there would be people um, that would be running cartels that would come and give their, their life to Jesus Christ. How amazing would that be? God can do that. And we're not afraid of that. Um, but pray that there would just be a mighty harvest of souls, that we would see so many people give their life to Jesus Christ. Um, there have been many miracles already. God has parted the sea. God has provided. There are 200 churches or so that are partnering together. You know, it's hard to get churches to do anything together. So that in and of itself is an extraordinary miracle. But I'm just saying all of this back to this final point. Listen, in me, it's like, there's, there's, there's some nervousness. You know, like we are really stepping out of the boat. And so for me, it's been, God, please, oh God, please do a work. And, and I, 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 I lay that at his feet, being able to honestly, sincerely say to you, God has never let this church down once. He has never let us down. And so... So like we come, we take a step of faith and I'm no different than you. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm a little nervous about this, but God is good and we're gonna walk by faith and we're gonna believe he's gonna do something great. And because he uses the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, because we are small, because we, we aren't super significant in the scale of things, when he does the work, guess who's gonna get the glory? He alone will get the glory, amen? Amen. Why don't you all stand with me today? We're gonna to close our service and um, pray.
And so, of course, I want to encourage you to be praying this week and uh, be praying for our team, be praying for me, please, for the preaching of the gospel and whatever else God lays on your heart. Uh, But let's have just a minute of prayer, and then we'll close in a song of worship. How can we not, God? How can we not take steps of faith? How can we not be kingdom-minded? How can we not be moved with compassion? How can we not proclaim the greatness of your love and the giving of your son? God, you've changed our lives. You've reached into the darkest, most miry pits and you've pulled us out and you've cleansed us and you've set our feet on a rock and you've called us your sons and daughters. You've given us a new name. You're our God. And we do together just make that declaration, how great thou art. Oh God, we want the world to know. God, we want Tijuana to know. Father, you care for every single soul. You cared for the 120,000 in Nineveh and you care for the 2 million plus in Tijuana. God, demonstrate your compassion. God, in real, tangible ways, cause people to see the depth of your love for them. Father, we're, we're your servants and we bring our limited resources and we place our resources and ourselves in your hands and we ask in Jesus' name that you would anoint with power, that you would supply in a way that would be exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. God, we pray from the tip, the top of Mexico, all the way through central Mexico and to the south. Father, there would be an awakening, a spiritual reviving, an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, God, that would cause the world to see that you are God. Father, we pray that you would rebuke The devil, we pray, God, that you would cast him out, cast him down, every principality, every power, and set in high places, every dark demonic ruler that has established themselves in their pride and arrogance, thinking that they can't even be moved by you. God, we pray that you would move them. We pray, God, that you would break chains. We pray that you would open the prison doors. We pray that you would set people free. Father, we pray that you would magnify the name of Jesus, that that his name would be the name. His name would be the name. Demonstrate the power of the name of your son and cause it, Lord, to be like a spiritual earthquake that would shake that city. Father, we humbly come to you and God, we're not unaware of our weaknesses and our frailties. And we place all of it into your hands. We thank you now by faith for what you're going to do. And we 
commit ourselves to giving you and you alone every ounce of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.